First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, its, through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that, it's, that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Well... A few little stumblings, a few little things, but you heard it. Um, our reader said, thanks be to God for the word. Now you understand that without the word, we actually don't really know a whole lot of true things about God. We can guess some things, but in our tradition of the faith, we talk about sola scriptura. How are your Latin skills? <laughs> if something's going to be profound, it has to be spoken in Latin, right? Uh, I had to take a year and a half of Latin, and uh, I sweated through that. But one of the things that you hear when you say sola scriptura, only the word, is that is the ground of all of our faith and life. So we spend a lot of time around the word. And one of the things that... Uh, uh, people like Lee and myself have to go through is several years of learning the original languages. And, and so sometimes we spit some of that out, and I hope that's not a burden on you. Um, and as we learn those languages and all the frameworks for the faith, uh, God calls us to expound, explain, and apply these things to your lives. We, we serve up a meal, and sometimes there's too much food on the table. And I want to apologize for that, because sometimes I can require a bit more of you than, than you have energy for. But I hope there's enough food on the table so that you can take that feast away and trust God more deeply. Uh, you've heard the scripture read this morning. Um, it's about a hope. And I want to encourage you this morning that it's more than a hope. This hope in the resurrection that we have. It's more than a hope. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee because Jesus walked out of the grave. When I was a kid, um, in our family... Christmas was the bonanza 
I mean, it's, if you'll pardon the language, it was an orgy of commerce. I mean, the telly for months beforehand was putting all these ideas out for children to make their list and to check it twice and to find out what things you really wanted and to convince your parents that you needed that. All that cool stuff. And as you made up that list, you know, your, your hopes got built up and you briefed your parents on it regularly, endlessly, I think, from their perspective. And it was your big hope to get these things. It wasn't always possible, but it was a big hope. Our oldest granddaughter, when she was four years old, uh, she'd ask her mom for things sometimes, and uh, you, you knew she really wanted it, but her mom would almost always say something like this. Well, not always, but enough that it was really annoying to our granddaughter. And she'd say, oh, sorry, Bobby, we can't do that right now. Uh, to which our granddaughter uh, would respond, not today. And I would hear her say that all the time. And sometimes she'd mumble it, you know, she's walking down, you know she's thinking about it. She'd go, not today. And you think, wow, <laughs> she was really hanging on to the least little bit of hope that it could happen. But I want to tell you that that's not the kind of hope that Peter's talking about in his letter to this young church that's under fire. That's yearning for a different life because their life is full of fire. And if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll realize that, you know, this isn't just a serendipitous uh, discussion. Th this is really a fiery discussion. There's lots in their lives that was about death. And the hope in what comes after because of what Jesus did. <clears throat> it's not what God means when he gives us hope to think about all those things we kind of hope for, but no, it's not possible. It's more than a hope, it's a guarantee, and I want to tell you why. Can we pray together that God will be our teacher? Father, uh, we sometimes confuse our imperfect hopes, our desires, our sense of what might be possible with your hope your guarantee because of Jesus father we want to understand that so that our hope in the resurrection our hope in the gospel is so firm in us that when the fire comes we're not so worried about what we lose that we miss what we've been guaranteed. Father, be with us. Help us to understand. Be our teacher 
So it's with that that I pray that I might decrease and you might increase and you might teach your people through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? First of all, I want to encourage you that your hope is not based on your performance or even your faith. It's based entirely upon God's grace. Don't get those two mixed up. It is by faith that you're saved through grace, not by grace through... It is by grace you're saved through faith, and that is of God. Not of yourself, not by our works, or else we could boast. I got things turned around there. I was speaking heresy. Did anybody catch that? It's entirely based upon God. Look at what Peter says here. And listen, I'll emphasize it so you hear it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a mistaken impression many have that faith and its twin sister hope are transactional. What I mean by that is uh, people sometimes think that if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, if I believe hard enough, if I do it right, and achieve a good feeling about God, he will give me a passing mark. That's about I and me and my. Did you hear that? We call that the unholy trinity. That's a fleshly performance thing. The thing that undermines a truth conception of faith and hope is the fact that deep down we know we don't really measure up. We fail and so we doubt. We get afraid and that drives us to earn God's love and leverage a hope. That's just kind of the pathology of the way that I, me, and my kind of works inside us. Because we're basing it on a sense of our performance. Not upon something that's done for us, without us, entirely. Listen again to what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you hear it? Where's all the emphasis? Is it on something we do? Or is it on something he's already done? And we simply hold on to it by faith. Do you hear that? The hallmark of the gospel, the foundation of our faith and hope, 
is that new life, resurrection, and eternal life is by God's grace alone. I talked about sola scriptura, right? Now here's some more Latin. Sola Dei Gratia, only the grace of God, only the grace of God, only the grace of God. Three different forms of emphasis, all of them pointed in the same direction. You've heard me say it before, but Christ compels me to keep saying it until you're dreaming it and you wake up in the morning with a smile on your face. God is absolutely just. Absolutely just. Jesus tells us in the audience that he uh, spoke to at what's called the Sermon in the Mount, the largest body of information that we get in the book of Matthew, the longest sermon he preached. He says this, kind of in the middle of it. He says, be perfect, or you've got to be perfect, as my Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. He doesn't lower that. He judges according to that standard. He gets to make the standard because he made everything. Uh, we don't try to guess what standard he should use, although that's what we try to do when we try to transact things with God. But he says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Here's a problem. We're born broken. We're born rebels, intent on our own way, and God is the creator king. He doesn't just do justice. He is just. Now, that's a crazy way to think about it theologically, but we don't know anything about justice except that he puts that in us. That's what our dogs, puppy dogs and kitty cats can have their, no way to get their brains around that. But we do because God has put eternity within us. And we judge ourselves by a standard, but it's a, it's a scale that we like to, you know, kind of put our finger on just to kind of help it out just a little bit. But what is his standard? It's perfection. Now who can measure up to that? That's the point. I think I told you before that um, at the Billy Graham School of Evangelism, Billy used to say, they got to get saved. But you can't get saved until you get lost. Isn't that true? How do you know you need salvation unless something's held up and it says, weighed in the balances and found wanting. I read that somewhere. We're born broken rebels, intent on our own way. And God is the creator king, and he is just. He will judge our rebellion against him. Rebellion, a.k.a. sin. He's absolutely perfect and holy and judges that rebellion because it's against him. Justice is getting what you deserve. 
You've heard me say that again. Can anybody remember me saying that? I just want to see if I get through with that. Do you remember me saying that? Justice is getting what you deserve. You don't want God to be just in an economy of trying to barter to earn his love. You have too many secret sins, and you know it. I know it. All those secret sins that God knows every, every millimeter of. It has the smell of death all over it. That's where the doubt comes from. That's where the fear and the anxiety about God comes from. And it just won't wash off. It's like Macbeth after he's committed murder and he looks at his hands and all he can see is the blood on his hands and no matter what he does, it won't come off. You all know what he says. I won't say it in church. No matter what we do, because the wages of sin is death. Now here, Glorious. This is glorious. But the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, what he does, what we can't do, because what we do is sin. The free gift of God is eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Did you hear that? A free gift. It can't be earned or deserved. God's absolutely, absolutely perfect and holy and judges rebellion because it's against him. He's the creator. He's just. And here's why. Here is why the free gift, the gospel, the good news. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Sometimes we think that, you know, uh, the free gift is, is there because that's what you're supposed to do. It's a, it's a custom, right? Gifts are supposed to be a custom. But in the ancient world, uh, gifts were something that was expected. It's something you do deserve. So it kind of throws us for a loop when we hear about a free gift that can't be earned or deserved. Well, if God is perfect and his standard is perfection and we're not perfect, all that we get for our wages for that is death. Hence the need for resurrection. Grace, I think I've said this before too. Grace is spelled G-R-A-C-E, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Christ earns it and deserves it for us. 
But in order for that gift to come to us, he's got to pay. He's got to pay for our sins. His expense. A terrifying thing. So what has God done? And what does that have to do with the hope that we have in the resurrection? He has begotten us again. Do you hear that phrase? Does that sound strange to you? He's begotten us again. What's happened? What's our first begetting? Well, we came into this world, but how did we come into this world? As sinners. (laughs) We're already in trouble. Right out of the gate. Do you ever have to tell a child to say no? Why, how is it that they know to do that? <laughs> Andy, has she started doing that yet? <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> you know, rebellion is something you don't have to teach a child. Our rebellion against God is invested in us way, way back in the beginning when our first parents fell over and decided to declare their independence from God. You are brought into this world. You're brought into this world and you're broken. There are so many things that get decided for us long before we're even born. Think about it. You don't choose your name. You don't choose your parents or your DNA. You don't choose the country you're born in or the socioeconomic situation. As you're in your mother's womb, your oxygen, your food is provided for you. There's nothing you can do to influence those things. They all happen long before you're born. It's the same way with God in what he does for us without us in the Lord Jesus. I remember uh, reading this and discovering this early on in in my Christian life, and, and I realized that this was the Lord's idea even before in the beginning. Because Genesis 3 and the fall of man didn't take God by surprise. And so you wonder, where does the grace of God start? In the beginning. And in fact, beforehand. Jesus Christ was destined to go to the cross because Genesis 3 did not take God by surprise. It was always his plan even before the fruit was picked, or the decision to pick the fruit, or any of those things we kind of trip over when we try to figure out sin. Don't ever try and figure out sin. It'll just make your head hurt. (laughs) Figure out Jesus. And we get an awful lot of that story. In fact, all the Gospels are the story. It's not a five-point outline. 
It's, it's, it's not a, a, a theological discussion. It's a life story that God brings to us. When he comes into the flesh, 100% God, nothing lost, but becomes a man, 100%, not 50-50, but 100%. And you know what? If you were to check Jesus' blood, you would find the same DNA that you and I have. He was one of us, and he was our king. He stood for us. He stood for us and obeyed what we could never obey and died the death we could never endure. Glorious. Glorious. I want to do something. Uh, your response to the word. Uh, we have as our response to the word uh, catechism, question 45. We've been reading it for the last few weeks as we've talked about the resurrection. If you could look at it in your bulletin. Everything that I've been preaching on for the last few minutes can be digested into these, these words. Let me ask it to you and let you confess it back to me, if indeed that's the way you feel. If you don't believe in that yet, that's fine. Um, our church is a church where you can belong before you believe. But if you do believe in it, confess it with me. So let me ask the question. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? What do you say? First, by his resurrection, he's overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. A sure pledge, a guarantee of our glorious resurrection. You don't have to wish for it. It's not wishful thinking. You don't have to say, well, you know, I, 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 I really you know, believe in it, but sometimes I doubt. The problem's not in our doubt, but the problem is in our doubt. Because all of the assurance is in what God does for us, completely without us, because it is by his grace. And all we do is believe in it. Some more Latin. One of those really important solas. Sola fide. Only faith. You see, there were some during the time of the Reformation when all of we Protestants were, were born. Uh, you know, the, the, the Protestant Reformation was about those things that tried to restore the gospel of grace. Sola Dei Gloria, only by the, the, the grace of God, but some were saying, no, it's God's grace plus the things that we do that save us. It's grace plus nothing. All that faith does 
is receive what's already been done for us. And you know what? If people walk away from it, it doesn't change at all the gift or the giver. The grace is there and it's freely offered. And if we don't receive it, it doesn't change God and it doesn't change the good news. So, receiving. Something that's done for you. And God doesn't say, okay, now give me your, your, your list of qualifications that say, you know, you're worthy of this. Because none of us are. Sin is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter whether you're Billy Graham or that biker who's done terrible, terrible things because Billy would have told you there's stuff he's done and stuff he's thought. It just wasn't very public. And the bikey's very public. In fact, everything they do is public. But God's blood is enough to cover. And it does. And all that we do is believe. And to those, that, that catechism that we confess together, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, Do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through a baptism into death, that you... As Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we can walk in newness of life. Because all the hard work's been done by him. We do the easy work. We trust in what he's done. In his death, in our place, that saves us. That promise... That guarantee doesn't depend on you. It's birthed in you. And from it comes a gratitude attitude. Now, I'm, I may have said this before, so you're hearing lots of things over and over again. But, but grace, you know, a little more Latin here. Gratia. Grace. Gratia excites in us through faith Gratitude. Do you hear it? See, we speak a lot of Latin. In fact, about 80% of our language is Latin. We just don't know it. Gratia excites in us through faith. Gratitude. We call that a gerund in, in grammar. But the two cannot exist separately. Receiving must happen. And the receiving is just believing. It's just banking on, trusting on, and nothing, nothing can shake that from you. Nothing. There is nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God. Because none of it's in you. All of it's in God. And such a wonderful thing that comes from that.
everything, everything that we receive comes from him. We don't have to earn it. That's stupendous. It's an inheritance. Do you hear that in in Peter? From verses 4 and 5. Unto an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefilable. That means it can't be taken away from you. It won't ever fade away. Nothing that you can do will separate you from the word or from God's uh, love. It is reserved. Do you hear that? Somebody has to do the reserving. It is reserved in heaven for you on your behalf who are kept, who's doing the keeping, by the power of God through faith for salvation that is ready. It is already, it's there, it's stored up for you in the last time. That's another way as we come right up to that last day. Look, however you meet the end of your time here in the world. And, you know, to these Romans, this was a pretty serious thing. Some of the awful things that happened. Uh, you know, if, if, if you really want to get creeped out, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's terrifying. Stephen King's got nothing on this guy. <laughs> but it's real history. People were being dipped in tar and used to be candles in the Circus Maximus. Peter was talking to real fiery trials. <laughs> Terrifying stuff. But however you meet your end, God is there with you and has already reserved for you and stored up for you. Both now and forever your resurrection. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. No matter what your trial is, and I know many of you are going through trials because as I'm here on Tuesday mornings and we want to invite you to come to your Bible studies where you pray and our Tuesday mornings uh, at, at 10.30 when we pray, we hear these trials. We struggle together. We know that there are things going on in your lives that maybe you don't even talk about. But God is there with you and has already stored up for you. He has a purpose and a plan and a goal in all of that, even when we can't figure it out for ourselves. Last thing I want to uh, encourage you in here is the inexpressible joy that Peter is talking about here comes from knowing how deeply committed he is to loving you, to give you the gift of eternal life. We know that because of Jesus. We know it because of Jesus. Verses six through nine. In this, you can greatly rejoice that now for a little while, if it has to be that way, 
You've been grieved by repeated trials that the authenticity of your faith being much more precious than gold that will perish. Though your faith is tested by fire, may be found to praise and glorify God at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, though you have never seen him, you love him. Even though right now you can't see him, you are believing in him. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving this, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.8, he talked about being afflicted on every side, but not crushed. Afflicted, but not crushed. Confused, but not despairing. Our trials do four things, and I want to encourage you in these things. It's not going to explain it all, but I hope it gives you some foundation for recognizing God's purpose, plan, and goal, even in your sufferings now until that final day. One, four things. They help us to grow stronger in trusting him for your care, for all those things that are out of control, all those things that terrify you and hold you back, all those things that could happen you'll never know about. Secondly, it amplifies our sense of the difference between this fallen world and the one he's prepared for us for glory. And the common denominator of that is hope. Three, they make you yearn for the resurrection because death can't hold us. And four, we're given the inestimable privilege of having his spirit live in us and show the world what he's done in us and through us and to speak the words of eternal life to other broken souls. How we go through the trials speaks volumes. And our hope is the guarantee of God. You see, our hope isn't in this world. It isn't in this time. It isn't what we do in life. It's in him. It's in him. Shall we pray? Father, that's a lot to chew on. Peter has such profound words that you gave him. And hope is so deep. Hope is so hard to hang on to sometimes. Father, help us to hope in you because of what you did, not in what we do or think we can do or should do. Father, set our minds upon you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please stand with us and sing.
We're going to sing another new